welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris and welcome back to Dads with Daughters, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. I'm really excited today because, and I always seem to say that, but but I am always excited to bring you amazing people. And today we've got another amazing guest. And I have known Jorge Narvaez for some time now. We've known each other through through blogging, through doing videos, through a little bit of everything. We met initially at the Dad 2.0 conference that I've talked about before, but he has a channel called Reality Changers. Uh, it's a website. I, I'm going to say it's a, it's a YouTube channel. It's a little bit of everything, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but he also did some really cool things with his daughter over the years, and we're going to talk about that too. Jorge, Great to see you. Great to have you here today. Thanks so much for being here. Chris, thank you so much for having me here. It's good to see your face again, man. It's been a long time. It has been a while. And and I'm really excited to be able to chat with you today to talk about the journey that you've been on, but also you and your daughter have been on. And I always love to start these interviews really talking about you and your daughters. And you have two daughters yourself. So first and foremost, I want to turn the clock back in time. I want you to think back to that first reaction that you had when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. Tell me about that. Oh my gosh. We want to go there? Oh, I was 16 years old when I found out that my my girlfriend, uh, my wife now, was pregnant. At the time, I didn't know what to feel. I knew that I was one of the only few students in high school that were having kids. And so in my head, I was like, okay get through it. We can do this. Work hard, play hard. You know, it's, it, it was this mentality that I was taught growing up by my mom. Like you gotta, you gotta take care of your stuff, you know, but it was very scary, man. I had people telling me that I should put my daughter for adoption. Um, I had people telling me, Hey Jorge, you know, sometimes some people's biggest questions are other people's answers. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds so cute. But no, man, Nan- Nancy and I were like, no, we got to figure this out. We got to figure this out. Uh, we started selling, um, uh, in high school, uh, we started selling, uh, uh, we couldn't work. Neither of us could work because we were both undocumented. It was just a realization recently too. We had just found out too. I was like, what? And we were selling tortas in, in high school. We were selling, uh, we would w- w- wake up at six in the morning, five in the morning and make a bunch of sandwiches for our friends in school and we would sell them. And by the time it was third period, the tortas would be sold out. So we would literally use that money to buy diapers, to buy food. And we had support from my mom and my, and my, and my stepdad, but they let us live with them. We lived in the garage and it was like a duplex garage. <laughs> we shared a garage with other people. It was so bizarre. There were other people living on the other side of the garage. It was like, when you think of poverty, <laughs> like it was like, we lived in a twin size bed, Nancy and I, while she was pregnant. And I remember sleeping curved like a spoon, like opposite spoon because her stomach was, was getting big and it, it, it wasn't hanging off of the bed. So that question just brought up all that memory. <laughs> you know, it's always so interesting to be able to hear these stories because so many people go through so many different things. And I mean, you've overcome a lot. To, I mean, since then, I mean, be a young father to be able to get through the pregnancy, but also go beyond that and to be able to grow, to learn, to, you know, into, into, I, I'm going to say overcome, be able to overcome those those initial challenges that you had. As you look at the experiences that you've had as a as a father to date, 
um, especially as you look at raising daughters to date. What would you say has been the hardest part in being a father to a daughter? Oh, man, I just, just, just thought about this just a few minutes ago, too. And in fact, it's probably the biggest one recently. Teaching my kids and and at the same time, unlearning the toxic masculinity that I grew up and witnessing my 15-year-old and my 11-year-old um, experiencing toxic masculinity in their lives, in their friendships, because men and women can do it too. They have an ego, and especially my, my teenage daughter, she's experiencing things that teenagers are experiencing. So understanding how I have to be there for them, but in order for me to be there for them emotionally, I have to make the emotional decision to unlearn how I used to be how I was insecure, how I was demanding, how I was this way, and and still am in some parts of my character, and teaching them to avoid, to, to recognize those types of people in their lives and just save them hardship, man. I mean, and that's the, that's the hardest part as, for me as a father, teaching my daughters to see the type of men that I used to be. You know, let's go down that pathway just a little bit, because as you have those conversations with your your daughters, because they're older than, than your son is, and as you have those conversations, talk to me about some of the challenges that you have in sharing that, if you do, and how you have those conversations and, and be able to be kind of raw and vulnerable in those moments with them. I've had to really learn to discipline my listening skills. Because it's easy for me to react when something inflammatory comes up. For example, when my daughter says something about somebody hurt her emotionally, right? I get emotional right away too. I get defensive. So I've, ha I've had to learn to be an ear, you know, a good ear, in that, which means just talking once, listening twice. It hasn't been easy, man. It hasn't been necessarily always easy. There's moments where I, ca I catch myself overreacting over stuff that I shouldn't have overreacted. And then the weird part is, and if you want to dive deeper into this, and I'm sure, you, um, how old are your kids? I've got a 15, almost 16, and a 12-year-old. Oh my God. Okay. So we're kind of in the same boat. Yeah. So here's, and I, w I would love to know if this happens to you. Okay. They start mimicking how you react. They, my daughters start mimicking how we, how my wife and I fight. I started recognizing that as they grow up, I'm like, oh my God. And I realized, whoa, I taught them that. I taught them to be loud. I taught them to be angry and not being able to, to control themselves emotionally. So witnessing that made me realize, oh crap, I got to get it together if I need to really be teaching them that. So I've had to apologize these past couple of months a lot. I've had to I'm going, hey, girls, I'm really sorry I was really loud about this. But what I meant to say is this, right? Like catching myself that I think that's one of the a, a very uh, unique skill that I picked up recently that I didn't recognize that was important for a father raising teenagers. It's definitely not easy raising teenagers. And, you know, I I look back and I, I, I hear what you're saying in the sense that they mimic you and they and they learn from you because I've seen it. I mean, I, not only in my own daughters, but in other people's kids, too, where you know, you hear the story of you say a swear word when they're young and the next thing out of their mouth is them saying it like 20 different times in front of your friends. And, you know, things like that where... where Mannerism. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's things you say, the mannerisms, the the way that you interact with others, you know, how you treat other people, you know, all of those things are, I mean, they, they are learning from you. They're soaking it all in and you don't always see it at first. Sometimes you do. But a lot of times it comes back out and it comes back out. Because I live in a different reality mm -hmm. than you. How often do you give yourself time 
to reflect on what and how you approach your daughters? How often? How often do you think it's important too, right? Yeah, no, you know, for me, I think I, I think about things all the time because I know that I'm not I'm I'm not an expert at this. I know that I'm not the end all be all father of all fathers, you know. I mean, none of us can be that way. So I I mean, for me, I'm reflecting about things that I say or things that I do. And am I am I still being the best dad that I can be? And sometimes the answer is no. And then you have to look back at at the day. You have to look back at what you said or what you did. And and you might have to, as you said, you have to be honest and you have to be able to for be asked for forgiveness and say, I'm sorry, and be vulnerable and be willing to be vulnerable. And I know not every man out there is is comfortable in doing that, but especially if you've got daughters, you've got to be able to show that men can be that way and should be that way to be able to listen and be there for them. Because if you're raising them, they're going to be looking for that in people that they're looking to spend time with and spend potentially their lives with. It's like a form of karma if, if, if you think about it, right? Like my daughters are telling me these situations that are happening in their lives with their friends, how how they're being, how they're treating others, right? Like I've caught my kids be bullies before. I've caught my kids not be good friends. So I've had to kind of swallow my pride and go, okay, yo, what's going on, right? We talk, we used to discuss what happened and then I give her the best advice I can give her move on. I go, I go back to my room. I sit in my balcony. I go, dude, she sounds like me. <laughs> she sounds toxic like me. Uh, I, I have to learn this now. Damn it. If I really want to teach her to find good people and good friends, she ha I have to teach her to be a good person too. So it sucks, man. It's like, it's, it's a good thing, but it's like, damn it. I'm learning. I, I got to hurry up and learn this or else. Well, you know, I think that you're going to continue to find that you're going to keep learning every year, every moment, even as your daughters become adults, there's going to be more and more that you learn along the way. And 10 years from now, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I would have known that 10 years ago. But it's what it is. And, you know, I think that every father has to know that. And every father has to learn that along the way is that you, you can't beat yourself up over what you don't know at the time. You have to be willing to to learn and to grow along the way because, as I said before, I mean, nobody's perfect. No father is perfect. You can have good role models that you can look to. But still, even if you have good role models and you try to emulate them, you're still going to do it in your own way. And the worst part is, is that we have, a, I have a one, I have a three-year-old, right? That's watching every move I do, right? And he's very, very, very attached to me, more than, more attached than he is to his mom. And I used to be the same with my dad until he started drinking more. And I, I distanced myself from him, but uh, he, he attaches to me all the time. He, he, he has mannerisms just like I do. And I, I, I caught myself again the other day. I was being too loud. And then I caught him doing it too. I'm like, oh, and then I, and then I'm upstairs, for example, editing a video or I'm in the garage or in the studio. And then I hear fighting and the, and the kids are, you know, upstairs and I hear Aaron and I'm like, oh, that sounds like my wife and I, and I'm like, damn it. You know, it sucks, man. It sucks. It's so easy too. I, I underestimated how easy it is for children to absorb the good and the bad. I forgot how, how much of a sponge children are. And, and, and the, the thing is, is, is I think I realized this is something that I think helped me realize something. The other day we we're trying to figure out why is our son so energetic why does he have so much energy and you know and then why does he have to always prove himself why does he feel like he has to be loud and and, and a part of it is also my fault but then i realized i i don't think he understands the concept of age i don't think he understands the concept of of, of what growing up means to his eyes he sees alexa and Eliana taller these taller human beings he goes like this he's like why are they taller than me my dad is way taller than me he doesn't 
know that I'm 34. He doesn't. He doesn't know my kids are 15 or 11. He doesn't understand the concept. He doesn't conceptualize the, the the idea of of aging or growing up. So I think he thinks he's just like us. I think he thinks he's just. He needs to be heard just like us. So I learned yesterday that I have to really like if I want to speak to him, I have to speak to him, like eye level, or and speak to him like he's a family member, and which he is, right? But like more and more inclusive and than more like listen to me or else more like hey dude listen because if not then you're gonna it's a hard line that i i, I wish i would have realized with my my other daughters but now that i have this boy right this this little boy who who is he's god sent me this child to test me he's testing me and he's grounding me he's grounding the entire family and i realized these children have a purpose in my life not just to raise them but to learn I think that every father has to learn that along the way. And there's always going to be at least one child in your life that's going to do that for you. You know, I find that in both my daughter's lives, they're completely different, you know, completely opposite individuals and their personalities are different, though at times they still can, you know, go uh, back to, you know, they can, they can butt heads and, and really, uh, and really kind of uh, get on each other's nerves as any siblings will do. But, but I think that, as you said, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, our kids are brought into our lives for a reason. And, you know, they are there to help us to be the better selves that we want ourselves to be. But not too many kids, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to have a whole other conversation about quality over quantity. I got a vasectomy, Chris. I'm so happy I got a vasectomy. Why? I don't have to ever worry about having kids anymore. Why? Because I really want to have a good life, man. I, I really want to live okay. I want to live here okay. And I want to be qualitatively attentive instead of everywhere. You know what I mean? I completely understand. I am very envious of the structure that I see in families that have many, many kids. Right? Oh, gosh. There is definitely a, a structure that has to be in place. People know their roles. And I mean, it works. And sometimes I feel like even with two kids, that structure is out the window. So well, even Mexican families, man, Mexican families, man, I don't know. You know what? I don't want to stereotype because it's not just Mexican families. It's, it's families that choose to have big families. Mostly some of the families that I know are under-resourced, especially like in Mexico, they, they get big families. They have this, this idea, right? That like the bigger you are, the more successful you'll be, you know, the bigger your family is. And then you forget it's, it takes a lot to raise one child, one, one. And I think all of a sudden you got five kids and you're like, oh, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. I realize it's too late. And it is an income issue, man. If you have more than four, three kids, four kids, I mean, definitely consider having a better income because it is hard, man. I mean, I have three kids right now. My wife has lupus. She has fibromyalgia and she's only 33 and she's, she's, she's really struggling with this. And I, I see my decisions hitting me in the face and I'm going, man, like, okay, we got to be careful with what we do now, because if not, it affects us long-term wise, our health, our, our, our mindset, our, our spirituality. If we want to teach our kids to be that way, we have to make time. And in, in order to make time, it's important to recognize if you want four or five kids or not, you have to plan it out. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the concerns that you have. What would you say is your biggest fear in raising daughters today? Finding them falling in love with somebody that will torment them and break their demeanor, gaslight them. That's my biggest fear. But I feel prepared to teach them now than I was a year before to recognize those things. That's my biggest fear, man. Getting old and, and being 67 years old, you know, retired and seeing my children suffer. 
suffer. That's that's a horrible feeling, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, t- uh, one of the things that I wanted to have you share with me, but also with with others, is the fact that you've been very involved in your kids' lives. And that's been happening for quite some time. The If anybody has followed you on Reality Changers, they've seen that journey that you've been on. But for those that haven't, one of the things that is is, is really kind of a cool story is that you and your oldest daughter had the opportunity to really find notoriety in many ways in regards to your singing. That you and your daughter were identified by Ellen and it kind of blew up from there. Tell me the story about that and how that happened and kind of what happened from there. I was at school at UC San Diego and I was struggling with school, man. It was really hard. I made time to cope with my emotions by playing music and and playing it to my kids and, and, and finding time for music was my therapy. I was on my way to Palm Springs and I was with a friend and this song came up. I know this is very specific, but I, I'll never forget the house that I saw when I first heard this song. It was a house on a hill. We were on a straight dirt road. It looked like one of those like Death Valley straight dirt roads. And all of a sudden, like the horizon, you see a house. Okay. And it's a beautiful house on a hill. And then as I was witnessing that house, a song called Home came up. I was like, oh, so funny, you know? And I was like, interesting. And I started hearing the lyrics. And I was like, oh my God, that's a great song. It's such a happy song. So then I turned right and I saw the house and it, it stuck for, with me forever. I was dating somebody at the time. And um, that person was the one that brought up that song to me. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I took that idea. I took that that song home. I, I, I looked it up and I was like, I liked it a lot. It was, it was like very happy, very non-traditional to what I used to listen to, you know? And I'm like, cool. So then I memorized it. I learned it. And then I was like, I'm going to sing it to the kids. And then I started singing to the kids out of fun, like sitting down with them in the living room, in the kitchen, you know, whatever, just having fun. And all of a sudden I just decided to record myself like singing it. And then I told my daughter, Hey, come in, come in. Like, you know, and she kind of knew the song. She has a really good memory. And we went over like, I think it was like one take. That's it. And we were just playing back and forth. And then it happened that little moment, that little moment of my daughter singing with me. And she had been really wanting to learn how to whistle back then. And then in the song, you'll hear her say, one day I'm going to whistle, huh? She's like, yeah, yeah. That moment happened. And then it went viral. A couple of days later, actually, I was on my way to a midterm at UC San Diego. And the weirdest thing happened. I got a call from from someone and it was Ellen, it found out it was Ellen DeGeneres' um, manager. And I'm like, and the first thing I thought to myself, who the hell gave you my number, right? Like, how did, how did you get my number? And then I found out UCSD has a public listing of, of, of information. So I was like, oh, whatever. So then I, I was on the phone. They, they wanted me on the show. And I'm over here like, is this real? I got to go. I got to take care of a midterm. I'm over here thinking of like, I got to form, for, formulate my essay. Like, I don't, what is this, you know? And UCSD is very rigorous. It's a, it's a quarter system. So it's not easy, man. I, 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 I was like this the whole time for six years. So for this to happen out of nowhere, I'm like, uh. You know, but it, I thought about music. I thought about my passion, about loving music and how I've been coping with my emotions. I was like, okay, let's do this. So I went on the show and the video was already going viral. I was already getting hit up by the news and, and another, a bunch of different places. And uh, it, it was, it got to a million views. And back in 2011, that was a big deal. A million views was a huge deal. It could be the equivalent to like a hundred, honestly, it's like a hundred million views, uh, the equivalent to now and, or 50, you know, but the point is, is it was big deal for us as a family for for someone like me and i took the opportunity and light bulb hit we went on the show 
we sang the song we we were ourselves you know my daughter was having fun she was like so she was more into the the people in the crowds and the, the song she she was so happy about the car that ellen degeneres gave her a small car she was like Woo, you know that's exactly what i wanted to convey it was just us it went viral people wanted to know more about who i was and i was already naturally vlogging not like on my youtube channel i was obsessed obsessed with documenting things recording my kids first time sipping in a straw or taking pictures of snails or seeing them walk for the first time and then one day i started videotaping my life on youtube and i was like i'm gonna i noticed people liked it and i was like I just uploaded this video that I've I've already been recording. I've been I've been vlogging, quote unquote, since my daughter was born. You know, I just didn't know I was vlogging. I was just recording videos and saving them and putting them in a folder and like in a, in a series. It was like a, you should have seen me. I had it very structured. I had like a calendar. Day like December first, two thousand eleven. Like boom, boom, boom. I had like tons of calendars, and it was just stuff that I just collected. It was it was an obsession of mine to document, and I felt like maybe it was because I really liked to to document things because I felt like they they made them permanent. All my life, I feel like things have been taken away from me, and I I feel like I had control of my life, you know, and and what I wanted to convey and share. So I took that. I started vlogging. I started seeing the, the the views go up. I started seeing subscribers grow up. I was like, "What is this subscribership?" Then that's when it started. I started getting hit up by other people, and we started covering more songs out of fun with my daughter. And then we started going on shows, and we started doing a bunch of tours and traveling. And then, and then I started doing full time YouTube. Started vlogging, and I got hit up by uh, at the time it was Maker Studios, which is now Disney Digital, and they wanted me in, and I was like. Who are these people? I, I wasn't familiar with this world, you know. When I went to see what these people are all about, they were like, "Oh, these people like to put people together that like to vlog, that like to document, video creators," you know. And I started doing it full time. I met other vloggers. I started vlogging. I started seeing more with my kids, and it was fun, man. I finally graduated from UCSD, and I I, I graduated with a degree and everything, and then I started doing this full time. I moved out. Luckily, I got enough money to live alone, to be on my own. And I was already co-parenting with the mother of my kids at, at, at that time. I, we, we, we weren't together. I was a single dad. I was co-parenting. So it was really scary, man. It was really scary to choose to take that risk of doing your, the thing you love, music, my newfound love for vlogging, and make a living out of it and putting my family in that situation. But that's the spirit of entrepreneurship, you know, and unfortunately, I had to I had to pursue my heart and it worked out. You know, there was a couple of kinks and things I had to fix it. And I, I, there were some years that I was like, how am I going to live? And I did have to get a full time job. Eventually, I worked for a nonprofit here in San Diego, uh, a fatherhood program called San Diego Dad's Corps. I was there for two years. During that time, I was able to kind of sharpen and really figure out what I what my vision was with this YouTube channel, figuring out fatherhood and like, oh my God, there's more need. And like, I'm not the only dad that's confused about this. I'm not the only dad that wants to be with their kids. I'm not the only dad. So I I, fiz I made that decision. I manifested. I was like, I need to volunteer. I need to get out there and get to know people. And I, I was also going through, I've never talked about this. I, I was also going through a, a, a psychological thing. The mother of my kids at the time, we were co-parenting. We were holding each other accountable of stuff. We were talking about what we need to be doing and stuff like that. And I think subconsciously I was feeling guilty about certain things I was being as a dad when I was uh, before YouTube, bef before this whole thing went viral and how toxic I was. And so I, I, I thought to myself, okay, I have to find a job that makes me happy, that makes me money, and that is transformative. So I volunteered at this place for the male involvement program for uh, the Neighborhood House Association. And I liked it, man. I was like visiting a bunch of different six to six programs and I was like in playing music to them. I was integrating my YouTube stuff. I was playing songs with my with by myself, even with my daughter, even my the mother, of my kids would show up and she's like, oh, my God, you're here. And anyways, it became something exciting to the point where I got a full time job 
at a place called San Diego Dance Corps, and I was I became their case I became their um, administrative position as a as an intake recruiter outreach coordinator. And man, I loved it. I loved it. I loved witnessing. I loved going to court with my case with my dads. I loved going to the reentry roundtable meetings and 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 building community and and teaching the, my community to to really integrate fatherhood. Like for example, when you go to the WIC program office and you look around and you don't see any any father posters and anything fatherhood focused, I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I got really passionate. I got also it was like a, a form of anger because I was feeling misunderstood by my the mother of my kids at the same time too. And I was like, I need to show the world that fathers are important. So I, I it became like a mission, a personal. mission mission to understand myself and to understand what's going on with fathers. So I would like visit Donovan State Prison. I would talk to dads out there and I would, I, at the time I was already prepared to teach evidence-based program called 24-7 Dad. I didn't teach it. I introduced it. Sorry. I introduced it. And then the, the, the actual case managers that had the, the, equip, the mental equipment to do it, they would do it. But I would warm them up. I would get them to know because some of these men, man, were so tall, were so strong, were so intimidating. But I wasn't intimidated by them. I was just like, dude, it's not about you getting your kids back. Like they, they were so eager to get out of prison. They were like, it wasn't just with prisoners. We work with military. We work with, with civilians. We work with everybody. But prisoners were the ones that were like really into it. I was really into it because they were so excited about getting out of prison. They were like in a 90-day program where like they have 90 days to like to get themselves conditioned back to society. So my job was to let them know, hey, like, I know you guys are excited about having your kids back, but it's not about that. You need to be prepared mentally to not come back in here and to do the right thing. Because it sounds like one of you guys here has already, th their wives already remarried and you're over here like, I'm going to get my kids back. You know, and I'm like, no, that's not how it works, man. It's not about you getting your kids back. It's about your kids getting you back. And so that mentality shifted and I realized, okay, if I can shift people's mentality like this, I want to stay in this program. And I stayed with it for, for about two years until the program ran out of funding. And it was so, and I realized, oh my God. And I even went to Washington, D.C. I went to the National Fatherhood Clearinghouse meeting. I saw how people lobbied for dads. I saw how desperate we need more representation in, in legislation. And I'm like, what is going on? Do kids, dads, uh, dads are, that their kids are getting taken away in court. I witnessed it. I saw someone get their kids taken out. And I, I saw his downward spiral because the program that I was part of, it wasn't just about, hey, come in here and learn how to be a dad. It's like, come in here and learn how to take care of yourself, learn about cognitive behavioral therapy, learn about the 12 steps if you have alcoholism, learn about this, learn about that. I was like the go-to person. I was a, I was a two-on-one guy and I would, I would get on the phone and I would talk to them. And I would try to figure out a way to understand who they are and who to place them with. So it was this weird position of like insight that I that I got about what men are struggling with, and in different facets of, of society. Soldiers, people, uh, soldiers coming back from from Iraq was a big one, man. They didn't know how to handle their trauma, and they didn't know how to handle their children when they get back, and they, when their children were like being loud, like dad, 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 dad. And you hear that? If you have PTSD, dude, you're about to have a horrible time. So, so things like that, little things like that. We had a guy that had just moved to the United States from a, from a third world country. And he, and he was, he grew up, he grew up in an environment where he would get hit by his dad with a stick in the back. It was like, boom, 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 boom. That was just the thing. That was the culture. That was the cultural style of raising children in that area. He came to the United States, hit his kid with a stick. His kid told his teacher, teachers are, you know, they're mandated uh, uh, reporters. So guess what? They sent him to our program and he's like, he still wasn't sure what was going on. He's like, you can't do that here. You can't do that in general. This is why, this is why, this is why, this is why mentally, spiritually, emotionally, this is why you shouldn't do that. And so that gave me insight as to how dense some of us can be sometimes with discipline. So it opened my eyes, man. And so this journey of fatherhood kind of like, it was like, 
learning and learning and learning and learning and making tons of mistakes along the way. And by the time I, I realized it and when the program ran out of funding, I went back to full time on YouTube and I, I was getting some opportunities. I had a better grasp of what I was doing of, uh, of my message. And I started noticing more people were in interested in what I was saying. And I started doing more videos and 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 it's been it's been going on since then, man. It hasn't. I I don't even know how the hell I still do this. To be honest with you, like I don't understand it. Like how do men? And this is the I'm gonna I'm gonna close with this <laughs> because with with this thought, all these years of content creation and vlogging and all these things, I realized one thing: I had the time for it. Most dads don't. Most dads don't have the opportunity to think like us, to think like me, to think like you, because they're too busy working two to three jobs a week. And they don't have the time and capacity. I, I'm sure they want to. I'm sure they 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 dream. They dream of. I just want to spend time with my children. I just, and then you spend time with them, and you're in your work in your head, and you don't. You're not really there. So I've had to separate. I think I live a privileged life, man. I live a privileged life where I get to spend more than enough time with my kids. That if I didn't spend this time with my kids, they would grow up insecure. They would grow up unhealthy. And then I realized, this our society, the way in which we perceive work ethic affects fatherhood. It does. There's evidence to suggest it. So I feel privileged in being a voice for fathers or trying to be a voice because I'm constantly unlearning and learning. We men have an ego that we think we got our together, but we don't. We don't. We, none of us do. And we have to accept that. And once we accept that, we can realize what we've been missing out on. And that's what I realized recently. I've been missing out on a lot of stuff that I wish I could have I, I recognized sooner because I got swallowed by the expectations of my society and the expectations of masculinity and the expectations of being a man. And that's an amazing story. And I, I think that there's so much that I think we could talk for hours on end about uh, so many different parts of this. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about when you went back to talking about all of the ramp up in regards to the viralness and things like that, I'm sure that at times that can get to your head and that could get, probably get into your kids' heads, right? About the uh, so many people liking what they're seeing and as they're getting older, that notoriety and being able to be seen in that way. As you have been seen more by individuals, as your daughter has as well, how have you had those conversations to, to try to temper that, that notoriety with the reality? Oh man, it's a huge, 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 huge conversation. Because these past couple of years, it's happened more often than I thought. The ego gets in the way, you know, the, the sense of fame feels great. And it's not even that. It's not fame. It's, it's being seen, right? Like I lived all my life not being seen, not being heard by my dad, not being heard. And then finally I get something that, I, that, that makes me happy and then I see people see me, right? Not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes you know they feed your ego. Sometimes they, they they you feed yourself. You feed yourself. And my children were were were. I was I was noticing that too. They they uh they started uh feeling um like um hey dad like people know who I am you know and my daughter my my youngest she's like she's she's huge man Eliana she's she's everywhere. If, I mean if anybody has ever seen that meme of a girl taking a nap at the beach, that's my daughter, and everyone shares her picture or video all the freaking time it's not even it, it, that thing has transcended and, and and passed the test of time it's been it's been around since she was two and it, it changes it's it's on tiktok now like people use it on tiktok 
like I saw someone post a video of my daughter uh, of that song of that video. And she it's this girl throwing a blanket onto the river and putting a pillow on top of the blanket and landing on the water. And she's saying, I'm going to take a nap here. I just thought it was hilarious. I'm so happy. But that also comes with fame, right? Fame comes with like expectations and how you put yourself out there. And I got caught in that, man. I got caught in and in, in like posting for, for posting purposes, editing for editing purposes, content creation for just the purpose of content creation, because I had to continue to feed this monster, this YouTube monster that if you stop posting and you know, your algorithm goes down. So it's like, it kind of makes you hold you accountable, but in a very toxic way. It's like, I don't want to post today, man. You know, I don't feel like posting today, but I have to because I want to be there for my family, be there for my audience. My message is more important than my family. I caught myself spending more time editing videos than actually spending time with my family. And that's when I realized, and it wasn't just because I realized it. My wife made me realize it. My children made me realize it. When they stopped talking to me, when they start realizing, there it goes again, you know? And that I, I realized, man, my family seems to be shifting and pivoting. I have to pivot with them, you know? And then I realized something else too. They're growing up. The cuteness factor of, of the viral videos, it's still there. My kids are cute. My kids are amazing. How long can I do this for? And that's why I realized then I realized, no, man, I gotta, I gotta be there. I gotta be there for the kids. But it wasn't easy. It was always like this. It was always, it's the entertainment world in general is very unhealthy. It's not a normal thing. Do you understand? Like if you go to LA, the kids that are part of this acting, social media, content creation world, if you don't teach them how to center themselves, how to ground themselves, I don't care how viral you are. I don't care how famous you think you are. If you don't teach them to, to have a good heart, to have, to be honest, they're going to end up bad in life. Maybe not a year from now, maybe not 20 years from now, but like 30 years from now when they're at the end of their days and they're realizing... I treated people like crap. That's not a good feeling, man. So with that said, I started approaching social media a little more differently. I started focusing more on like fatherhood and focusing more on building community and focusing more on, on, on doing fun stuff, but not as invasive because it can get invasive in your personal family and your personal decision making in your head. Like I, I've had to learn, I've had to unlearn how to not vlog in certain situations and really take in that moment. Instead of vlogging, even though in my head, I'm like, damn, I got to show this to Chris. This is amazing. I got to show this to, to everybody. This is such a great moment. Sometimes it's good to just put the phone down because the children are watching you. That was amazing because I think that I think all of us can get lost in that way. And the things that we do, sometimes there's a balance between having to not only have something for yourself, but also being all in for your kids. And, and yeah, I think as a father, I think that sometimes it's a challenge in that way. Now, I hate to do this, but we always finish our interviews with what we'd like to call our fatherhood five, where we ask you five questions to delve deeper into you as a parent. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded as a father to a daughter? Today, just a couple of hours ago. How would your kids describe you as a dad? Crazy, always in my head, fun, never back down. Who inspires you to be a better dad? Besides my children, my wife. My wife, she's very insightful. She's very intuitive. Even when we weren't together, she was very insightful of who I was. And also, yeah, mostly them. And mostly my purpose, you know, my own purpose, which is inclusivity and fatherhood. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? Let go of your toxic ego and let in love. 
Now, you've given a ton of great insights today. I, I think we definitely have to have you back on again because we could delve into so many different rabbit holes with everything that we just said. But for that being said, I know that people are, that have listened today are going to want to find you. Where should they go if they want to find you? You can find me on social media. Just look up uh, Reality Changers. And uh, you, you should be able to find me. Reality changes as one word. Well, Jorge, it's amazing having you on. It's amazing talking to you as always. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Again, I want to hear you say my. I want to hear you say my last name again. <laughs> say it. Say it. Say it. Narvaez. <laughs> Did I say it wrong? No. Not. Narvaez. I like hearing. Narvaez. I like hearing people Narvaez. say Narvaez. 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 Hey. I you try. did better than everybody else so far. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone else so far. Okay. Well, you know, hey, we're supposed to learn every day. That's right. Not as bad as my UCSD. When I graduated from UCSD, man, when I went on stage, they, they said, Jorge Narvaza. And everyone in my family was laughing their asses off. You should have seen it was embarrassing. I was like, thank you. My family's going to poop on me now. Thank you. <laughs> Narvaza. <laughs> Anyways, man. Well, thank, thank you. you for having me on. This was fun. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step -step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals we buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best Dad, you can be. Be the best dad you can be.